Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and I'm joined today by two uh, good friends of mine and some special guests, who's Clark and Perdita, who wrote the book Way of the Rose and who started the Way of the Rose Facebook group. And would you guys like to say hello and introduce yourselves? Sure. Thanks for having us on, David. It's really wonderful to be here and to be talking with you in person. Um, I am Perdita, and this is my husband, Clark. We wrote the book, The Way of the Rose, The Radical Path of the Divine Feminine Hidden in the Rosary. But more importantly, we helped uh, started calling people together around 10 years ago, regardless of religious or spiritual background, to get together to pray the rosary in times that we even have had a feeling for a long time are going to be more and more tumultuous. And when we talk about the rosary, we're talking about something very, very uh, old and very, very unboxed. Yeah. And yet, you know, it's basically the, you know, like the traditional Catholic rosary, it's just it's fully unpacked so that you get all the old witchy folk magic out of it. That's true. So <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. So for those that maybe um, are not familiar with the way of the rose, what is the way of the rose? Well, the way of the rose is a community devoted to the earth, the rosary and the lady by any name you want to call her. And really what we became fascinated by was bead, uh, and, and that group is a, there's a lively Facebook group with thousands of members sharing their devotion. Yeah. Um, and there are circles all over the world on phone and Zoom and in person of people meeting together to pray the rosary for their heart's desire. This is not, we are not affiliated with the Catholic Church. Um, we're not interested in their, you know, or any premature, kind of... and nor are we interested in any religion, nor are we yeah. interested in creating a religion of our own. We have, we are the survivors of various religious traditions mm -hmm. and are really interested in what it means to create non-hierarchical community that, so everything we do is free. Everything, we, there are no masters or gurus or experts, just friends getting together to pray together. Circles of friendship, not lineages of authority is the way we sort of telegraph that message. That's a good quote. I like that description a lot. <laughs> and these are actually modeled, weirdly, mm -hmm. on the medieval rosary confraternities that arose when the rosary as we know it today first emerged in medieval Europe. And these were really... Nothing like them before. There was... They allowed men and women to pray together. You could pray whatever rosary you wanted. They oh, didn't wow. care. No, yeah. It wasn't, at that point, it wasn't a uniform prayer at all. It was, mm. a, it was a sort of a DI, you know, DYI version of a spiritual path. And, uh, you know, you, anyone could join. You didn't have to have money to join. You didn't have to pay dues. Or you could pay do whatever you wanted. And the whole idea was to get together and pray to make miracles happen. That's it. That's amazing. And they, and they did happen, and there yeah. were a lot of books written about it. Yeah. So when we talk about kind of honoring uh, honoring the lady by any any name that you know her by, would you is this goddess worship to you? Do you kind of classify it as goddess worship? I often say, um, David, that the opposite of God is not goddess. Mm. It's not that we replace one abstraction male abstraction for a female abstraction. Mm -hmm. The opposite of God, who I neither need to believe in or not believe in, I just don't really care about. The opposite of God is everything. Mm, I like that. The opposite of God is mater, M-A-T-E-R, which is the Latin word for mother, mm -hmm. but it's the same word for matter. 
Mm. Everything that matters. The do- most of our universe, most of our cosmos is made up of dark matter. Right. The way I think of it is that the opposite of monotheism is animism, right? Yeah. It's the idea that, that spirit and life infuses everything, even the weather, even stones, even crystals, objects, that, uh, you know, it's the, the, once you sort of disentangle yourself from, you know, a very, very highly patriarchal controlled, you know, dominance hierarchy, you know, sort of approach to, mm-hmm. to life and reality, you realize that, you know, there are multiplicities of beings all around you and even inside of you, right? Yeah, and that these all have life and participate in life, uh, you know, and are all the manifestations of a kind of primal life force that animates everything in the universe. I'll let you in on a secret. This okay. was not the original subtitle of our book. This subtitle was arrived at by committee with our publisher. Mm. Um, the, you know, so the subtitle that came up was the radical path of the divine feminine hidden in the rosary, which is, which little, is descriptive, which is yeah. descriptive yeah. and very helpful for people. Clark and I wanted the terrifying subtitle of the black, the dark mother's rosary for an age of extinction and collapse. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I can see maybe one being a little more palatable than the other one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Our no. editor called us up and she said, do you want anybody to buy this book? No, she said, no, she'd already bought it. She said, do you want it? Yeah. Do you want? Do you want anybody to read this book? Right? We said, well, yes. Nowadays, you know, <clears throat> since then we've gotten together with her, and I've said, you know, is it collapse enough now for you for the <laughs> subtitle? Because <laughs> yeah, a lot's happened in three years. That you know? is very true. But so, yeah, so I think divine feminine. You know, I think we're interested in matter and mothers, and I don't. Th- I think mother is a term that we can reclaim, whatever gender we are. Yeah. And and I'm not really interested in some kind of gender binary. I, I think what's more interesting is what happens when we all manifest that mothering energy from within and that that anyone can do that. Yeah, anyone, Young and old. Any, anyone with matter, you know, the what was Perdita was saying earlier is that the Latin word for mother is mater, right? Mm. So it, it comes from matter. It's the same root. It's this embodied yeah. caring. So anyone with matter can can embody you know Mothership or mother, mothership or motherhood, motherhood. Yeah. So I, I really love that the way of the rose is kind of an inclusive um, space for people, like regardless of like religious affiliation or anything like that. What would you say maybe to some people that have some reservations about praying the rosary because it is tied to Catholicism in a lot of ways? Okay. So can we, can we give you our short history of the rosary? That I would love it. I would love the history. Okay, so here's something for your readers that's really fun. If you've got a bead on you, and almost everyone does at mm. some point, and if you don't have a bead, you have a, might have a button. Maybe you're wearing a mall, or maybe it's on your earring, or maybe hold that bead between your thumb and your forefinger and roll it between your fingers and start seeing how it makes you feel. Mm. Yeah. The, the common... You know, thing. You know, fidget spinners were popular a few years ago yeah. because they imitated that feeling. Mm-hmm. But that feeling is something as human beings that we have been craving and wanting for over a hundred thousand years. There's evidence of beads from over a hundred thousand years ago, and beads are hard to make. It's not easy to drill a hole in a bit of rock or shell. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes. Why, in moments of calamity, did human beings, even hominids, some of them earlier than, you know, yeah. way back, why why were they making beats? Why, when Mount Toba erupted 
70,000 years ago and extinguished much of life on Earth, did people make beads? How come when the Ice Ages took over Europe, people made beads? And I think it goes back to that feeling because what happens when you roll those beads between your fingers is literally a hormone called prolactin lets down in your brain. And that hormone that lets down in your brain, prolactin, is the hormone that lets down in your body when you're a baby and you reach for your mother's nipple. And it's the hormone that uh, that gets activated when a mother's milk lets down, right? So it is the attachment hormone, it's sometimes called. It's also a hormone that, that rises uh, in deep meditative states, right? And so merely to to hold, hold a bead will, will trigger that. But tell them why. What's the connection? Well, it's because a bead is a nipple. That's <laughs> what I said. Yeah. <laughs> because, and, and, and what you want to do is, you know, our, uh, you know Buddhists talk about all the time about letting go. If we let go as primates, we die. Hmm. Our first instinct as primates is to hold on. Yeah. But the question is, what are we holding on to? Mm-hmm. Are we holding on to the source of nourishment, food, consolation, love, joy, or are we holding on to something else? And, and in this culture, we hold on to a thousand and one addictions mm-hmm. rather than yeah. that which really makes us feel good. That's true. And, and yeah. every every set of beads or every prayer rope or every, you know, Kambaloi, or there are all these different names for them, Tesbian, the Islamic tradition, they're all basically umbilical cords, right? Mm. They, they attach us because they're made of matter, and we're made of matter, and to, right. to hold them makes us feel a connection. Uh, they connect us back to, to the uh, prima materia, the original matter, the original mother, and they all have that in common. But let's talk a little bit about the Catholic rosary itself okay. and where it comes from. Yeah, It's really interesting because the Catholic rosary is what our daughter Sophie Strand describes as a stowaway in the Catholic Church. Mm, I like that, it, yeah. It, it is like this thing, this repository of folklore that women and grandmothers and the illiterate peasant folk of Europe who basically were goddess-worshipping animists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thinly with a thin veil of christianity over the top Mm -hmm. it's where they hid their devotion and everything they knew about folk magic and they hid it in plain sight of the church and so one of the things that's fascinating is the rosary wasn't something that the priests gave to people to behave and be obedient and be good and be pious the rosary was a place where the ordinary folk literate folk people kept their mama for themselves. Mm. That's beautiful. And, yeah, and, and so there are a lot of there are a lot of Da Vinci code like secrets in the rosary. Yeah. We can share a few of them if you'd like. <laughs> that that would be great. Yeah. We love Da Vinci Code. Mark will share the first one with you. Okay, well there there one just to sort of get us started. Um, the uh, if you take a rosary or just visualize a rosary, right? It's mm-hmm. a circle with a cross dangling down, right? Yeah. So if you look at that image, that circle with the cross beneath mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't take much imagination to make the connection to the ancient symbol for Venus, right? yeah. for the gender sign for woman, right? Mm-hmm. So the moment you pick up a rosary, it's hidden in plain sight is the knowledge that you are uh, you are taking up a devotion to the goddess. If you 
you know, relax that circle a little bit, hold it from the loop so that it dangles down. Now it forms an ankh, mm. which is the ancient Egyptian symbol for life, right? right? Which also the, the sign of uh, the goddess Isis. We've got Venus and Isis. So already the sign of the goddess is right there in the rosary. But even before the rosary, the Catholic rosary with its cross at the bottom and, you know, its circle of beads took shape, there was already another rosary it was so much older than Christianity, we don't even really know where, when it began. And that's the floral rosary or the floral crown. Mm. It goes back to very, very early legends. Before the rose was Mary's flower, it was Venus's flower and Isis's flower and even Inanna's flower. And what happened was that in the springtime, people would weave crowns of roses, five-petaled roses, mm-hmm. and offer them to the goddess. In the days before, you know, people were sedentary and people were still migrating and living in small hunter-gatherer communities. They probably made them for one another's heads or to crown a woman who's pregnant or to crown people who are being uh, brought together as couples and to give birth. So uh, this is a very, very, very old, old tradition. What happened was this tradition, which was spread all across Europe, got wedded Mm. with the Catholic tradition. People came, you know, the priests came in, and they said, all right, here's the Virgin Mary. And, you know, the, the, the tiny little communities where people have been living for 5,000 years or longer. 8,000 right? and some that discovered in DNA. Yeah. People wow. can go right back. These had very, really very old beliefs about the Great Mother, right? Mm-hmm. So when Mary came along, they just said, they were illiterate, they said, oh, yeah, we know her. She's our girl. She's our mother, yeah. right? But they just effortlessly... Uh, you know, effortlessly transitioned into uh, uh, the worship of the Virgin Mary as the Great Mother. And one of the things that's fascinating is the word rosary itself. Mm. Um, It had five meanings in the medieval world. Mm. And they're really interesting. And again, it's like like trying to do that archaeology to get to the folk magic that got hidden in it. Yeah. One of the meanings was um, a, a collection of stories Right. Mm. And the rosary was a story, and it invited you to tell your story, and your story mattered. And so it became like a group, you know when a group of people get together and someone tells a story like, oh my God, let me tell you about my car accident, and then everybody's telling you right. about their car accident. Yeah. The rosary was, an, it, it was a storytelling tradition that invited storytelling. It also meant a graveyard. Mm. And the rosary goes way back to people being in communication with the dead, active communication with the dead. In fact, so much so that many of the psychics I've talked to over the years, whether they're Catholic or not, pray the rosary because it opens the portal. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah. Right. And and so that's that's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then the third meaning is a rosary, a circle of beads that you pray the rosary on. And then it means a rose garden. And the fifth meaning is a... Rosengartland, the, the diminutive of Rosengarten, the German word. means mm. female genitalia. Oh, wow. So you, Literally yeah. means little rosebud. So you're bringing in <laughs> sexuality and eroticism, embodiment, flowers, death, prayer, storytelling. Everything. All in one word. All in one word. Yeah. Wow. Nothing's getting left out. This is no little 
and, chaste ascetical practice. And the term no. rosary also you know, referred to a rose garden, and rose gardens were traditionally the places where lovers met. <laughs> and in the rosary, you have, you know, because the two prayers of the rosary are the Our Father and mm -hmm. the Hail Mary, basically the maters and the potters, the mothers and fathers. Right. That what you have in the rosary is basically a reenactment of a very old uh, story called the heroes about the heroes gamas or the divine marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And so the rosary is a kind of a reenactment of that, and it, it really activates uh, those creative uh, spiritual energies within us, a little like Kundalini. Wow, that's so and you know deep. here's yeah. the interesting thing. I always say to people, do you know what the difference is between a prayer and a spell? Do you know the difference? I think they're the same. They are. So. <laughs> hey, you already knew. Here's the thing. What people don't realize is that, like, in the Middle Ages, like, if your goat got sick, there was a formula for getting your goat better. Like, say three Hail Marys and one Our Father. If it's a cow, you want four Hail Marys and one Our Father. Yeah. It, this you had this, and there were a lot of formulas for like problems and issues, and they were all rosaries. That's wonderful. There were all kinds of prayers. You know, we have the in Latin the uh, uh, they call the Our Father the Pater Noster, but if you go back and a lot of it's been suppressed now, so it's very hard to find this information. Clark tries everywhere. You can't even imagine. He wants to sneak into the Vatican Library. That's his dream. I do someday. too. Let's break in. Yeah. <laughs> You, you and me and a couple of ninjas. Yeah. I'd be able to get in. Vatican, if you're listening, this is just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have their own, you know, version of the NSA. But uh, so, yeah, so so it turns out, and this was a surprise to me, I only discovered it when we were researching the book, but in addition to the regular Our Father, mm -hmm. there was a black Paternoster, a white Paternoster, and a green Paternoster. The green was for for use in herbal spells, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the black Paternoster was to be set at night and the white Paternoster in the morning. But they were, if you go back and you look at them, and uh, the text of the white Paternoster still exists, they have some guesses about what the black Paternoster was. And all we have about the green Paternoster was how evil and wretched it was. <laughs> and, and how many, how much magic it had performed. And, and how they needed to burn anyone who might still have a copy of it or might remember what it was. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so, but but these were tied up. This is with, all here. The yeah. Rosary. They were all hidden within mm -hmm. the. Uh, they were all hidden within the rosary, and there's some thought even that, uh, for instance, in the uh, Chaucer, there's a line where the prioress is a character. She has a set of beads. A rose. She carries a rosary, and it has red coral beads, which mm -hmm. are. Slightly scandalous for, you know, because they're very gaudy and they're red. Mm -hmm. But it has the green beads for the powder nosters. And, you know, some speculation is that she was actually saying the green powder noster <laughs> on her actual rosary. Scandalous. Right? That's the implication. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of witchy stuff going on, you know. And even I would say the Hail Mary, which, you know... The Hail Mary is a prayer. I mean, if you grew up Catholic, you have very complicated feelings. If you didn't grow up Catholic, it seems like something that, like, little old ladies say wearing lace in the back of the church, right? Like, <laughs> right. what a sentimental, stupid old prayer. I want some, like, fancy Hindu mantra for my yoga teacher. But <laughs> in fact, there's no difference between a mantra summoning Kali or Shiva and a mantra summoning Mary. Yeah. And it's a summoning spell. Mm. 
And what's fascinating to me about the Hail Mary, and as far as I know, Clark and I are the only people who've written about this, is, you know, the prayer grew out of the folk tradition of ordinary, these ordinary illiterate peasant people in Europe. And the prayer that they created, the first two parts of it, and I'll explain this in a minute, come from the Bible. They, they, they come from the Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. But fascinatingly, the third part of the prayer does not. It came from folk tradition. And what they created with the Hail Mary was the most beautiful invocation of a figure known as the Triple Goddess. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, they, you know, the church said, oh, isn't it good? They're saying the Hail Mary to the Virgin Mary. And they knew they were calling upon something bigger, older, and wilder. Who's the Triple Goddess? So that the first part of the prayer... Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. That's the prayer to the maiden. That's the moon. That's the early moon. But the Lord is with thee. That's like that's like the Yabyam pictures in Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah. They're they're in sexual union. Yeah. This is about the Lord is with you. You better believe it. We're not getting the, to the, the babies the, unless the, we're doing this. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the, the Latin actually for that it goes uh, Ave Maria, Gratia Plena, Dominus Tecum. But that word tekum mm-hmm. is a pun because the, the ordinary uh, order of the words is kumte, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, a, you know, an ancient word for female genitalia. And so it's been smuggled and hidden in the Hail Mary that when it says the Lord is with thee, it means the Lord is with thee. Right? <laughs> like, it's, it's not just like some abstract beam of light coming down. I mean, this is a, her a womb had to be blessed somehow. Right, we had to get to the fruit of the womb eventually. So (laughs) this is the tantric blessing. This is the tantric. This is the moment I sometimes call it when sunlight and water mingle to create life on earth. Mm. This is that you know. Mm -hmm. And then, blessed art thou among mothers, Mm -hmm. and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. So, so then that's the full moon. That's the the mother. That 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 the mother who brings forth all the life on the planet. Right. Mm -hmm. And that comes from the Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke, which is probably the most revolutionary prayer ever said out loud, and the church just kind of pretends it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, but it's there. It definitely is. And then the final part is, and this was folk tradition, Holy Mary, Mother of God. And Mother of God is meant to destroy, you know, like, oh, God, let's just get tired. I'm sick of God. Let's talk about his mother. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let's... Whoever God is, he has a mother, and that's what we need to start talking about. Take yeah. the biggest thing you can imagine and give it a mother. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And that's the crone mother. That's the Kaliak. That's that's the old woman who's going to take our bodies back. That's the earth who takes our bodies back and renews us. Mm-hmm. And so this prayer becomes a, it's, it's a mantra, really, that puts us in this mantric state of rehearsing our conception our birth, our death, and then our rebirth, because we say it over again. Mm-hmm. Right. It goes from literally from the womb to the tomb. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blesses the fruit of thy womb. Mm-hmm. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. So it really goes from the womb to the tomb. It does, Over yeah. and over again. It's this circular 
uh, it's a circular vision of, of life rather than a linear end time sort of scenario right. like you find Christianity. I will say that in our rosary circles on Way of the Rose, people are invited to do with the prayers what they need to do to mm-hmm. say them and to make them all their own. I don't know if you've been to a rosary circle, but you will hear 20 different variations of I'm these sure. prayers. And, and some of them are like, I mean, there are They're people, ecstatic. There, are people <laughs> there are people who are writing whose prayers are devotional poetry. I mean, really fine. So we take the basic structure so we can all pray together, but we harmonize. So, you know, I don't say sinners in my prayer. I have no interest in it. And, and you know what I mean? Like, I don't say God in my prayers anymore. I have no interest in God. So, you know, you you keep what you want. Some people say very traditional prayers. Some people say it in Latin. Yeah, me, I've been through 12 steps, so I have no problem saying (laughs) sinner. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's really interesting because... um, the, this podcast is primarily focused on like traditional witchcraft. So um, I've been asked a lot, because I've talked about Mary quite a bit on this show. Uh-huh. And I'll get yeah. asked a lot by listeners, like, why do you have anything to do with Mary if you're a witch? But oh. it's everything you just explained. You know, she's, <laughs> she's the great mother. She's death and birth and rebirth. And that's, that's how. That's why. Right. Let, let and me... also, look what's been done to Mary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, what's done to Mary... You know, when the Reformation happened, the first thing that happened was the statues of Mary were beheaded and burnt. That was the first thing that happened. Mostly the black Madonnas, but But, uh, others as well. The black Madonnas were beheaded and burnt. So many of them disappeared, Mm -mm. it's hard to describe. But those were the the ones that people went to for magic. Mm. And and why was, why, and then of course, real men and women were murdered. Right. For invoking their ancestors, for calling and communicating with the dead. That's the primary reason people were killed as witches. I've done a lot of study of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of books coming out about it. That's exciting, yeah. But it was for talking to the dead. Mm-hmm. That was the single thing that was could most likely get you killed. And the rosary, and so the, when the Counter-Reformation happened, when the Catholic Church tried to do its own reforms, it was happy to keep getting rid of the Black Madonnas. Yeah. It was happy to continue with the witch yeah. burnings. It was happy to suppress the relationship between the Dark Mother and magic. Yeah. Mm. And let me tell you, you know... You don't have medicine. You don't have money. You better have magic. Yeah. But and you what? take that away from people. Mm-hmm. And you make them dependent on a capitalist mm-hmm. economy. And as Silvio Federici has really documented in Caliban and the Witch, that's what was happening. We had to remove the magic from people's ma- hearts so that we could make them dependent on a monetary economy. Mm. Let's talk for a moment about Mary and, and the difference between the medieval and the modern Mary, because the, the, the Mary of the Rosary is really, really the medieval Mary. And this is a full-blown goddess. If you go back and you study the miracles, there are tons and tons of books of miracles attributed to the Virgin Mary. You'll sometimes read through five, six, seven different miracles before you even find a mention of Jesus or God. Okay, yeah. Virgin Mary is performing the miracles, and for for the people who pray the rosary or, or, or who offer her prayers or come and offer her gifts, you know they experience that you know what she performs as a miracle, and they're themselves is participating, you know, sort of magically in that uh, in that experience. You also find a tremendous amount of diversity among the figures of Mary. Some are old, some are young, thin, 
you know, robust, fat, buxom, flat. They're, they're all shapes and sizes. And also frequently, frequently in the Middle Ages, Mary is depicted bare-breasted and nursing not just the Christ child, mm. but everybody. Yes. The squirting milk into the... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, these are images of... Yeah. The, I mean, what you see happening in Catholicism over the course of the Industrial Age is the need to turn Mary... And there's been a lot of good writing about this. Um, Missing Mary by Charlene Spretnik is a great book. But to turn Mary into a docile, obedient peasant girl. Yeah, Perdita calls mm. them valiant virgins. Mm. And specifically the one she's talking about is the you know, the, the, the Mary that you see on a lot of church lawns, the sort of very sentimentalized, mass produced plaster mm. Marys that you see on Catholic lawns today. This Mary with her eyes cast down in a pale blue robe. Right. Washed out like a daylight moon. She's not right? wearing, you know, Mary in the Middle Ages is frequently depicted in bright red robes. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and she stares you in the eye. She's not. She's not. Uh, I mean, you know, there there are certainly depictions of her where she's sort of in a meditative state or whatever. But oftentimes she's just staring straight straight ahead. Mm -hmm. So you stand before her, you feel this direct contact. Many people don't realize that Vatican II. I certainly didn't until I began studying. Was um, a war against Mary, mm -hmm. and it happened during the rise of feminism. So what happened? was, although it seemed like, you know, oh, this is progressive, we're going to start doing the Mass in English. In fact, when the Mass was in Latin, it was just this, this, this kind of bit of theater that was happening up front, right? <laughs> and what was happening in the back of the church was all the old ladies were doing their rituals and their yeah. prayers. Mm -hmm. And the, <laughs> you do your prayers, we'll do our prayers. And right. this goes back to what Sophie uh, was saying. <laughs> Our daughter said at one point several years ago, just... Not long before we started working our way of the road. Yes, I just I started the. Movement. I know, but she said that the the that the uh, Virgin Mary was a stowaway smuggled down through the centuries in the hull of the Catholic Church. Oh, right? absolutely. That the Church actually, like, it got transported down through time by the Church itself. The Church doesn't know what it's gotten down in the hole. But they tried to kill it. So what they yeah. did is. They, uh, so, so, so all those little old ladies saying the rosary suddenly lose their practice. Mm, mm -hmm. Then they take out all the prayers to Mary in the Mass. Hail Holy Queen used to end the Mass. Yeah. Like, and it's gone. Yeah. And then, and this is the worst thing of all, the rosary, in, which had been this very intimate, very personal object of devotion. Mm -hmm became used for a public agenda to end abortion and communism. Yeah. And what happened was it killed the rosary. And so that, you know, you can go to any flea market, as Clark and I do, and find a gazillion old rosaries because nobody prays it anymore. Now, this is, this is not true like in Mexico and, uh, you know, yeah. in South America and right. other places. But in the, uh, you know, quote, developed nations of the world, uh, Catholic Church is... is largely been uh, successful in deplatforming the rosary. Now, you won't find it said anywhere that you can't pray the rosary, but interestingly enough, after Vatican II, the language of Vatican II is so strongly against the rosary and against devotions to the saints and miracles that the bishops, two or three years after Vatican II came out, had to issue a special statement telling people that it was not forbidden to pray the rosary and to uh, say say mass uh, say you know novenas to the saints because 
people were convinced that they had been forbidden. And they were trying they were trying to suppress the folk magic. Yeah. They were trying to suppress the good old animist roots. Yeah, the deemphasization mm-hmm. the deemphasis on the saints post Vatican II is basically an attempt to kill Catholic folk magic. I believe that. And I um my family is from Brazil originally. So the in wow. um, in Brazil there's very much a devotion to Mary um, particularly is uh, the Lady of Navigators, and she's prayed to oh, on yeah. New Year's. There's um, white flowers that are kind of put on little paper boats, and they're kind of put out to oh. sea as petitions oh. to her. I'm so going to start doing that. That's wonderful. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> so I do want to ask you, too, what you think about this, just because I've noticed, um, as, part, as part of the Way of the Rose, but also just kind of in my own uh, studies as well, that there seems to really be a resurgence, like in our time, of a need for the mother. So what is it about like the times that we're living in that you think maybe people are recognizing this, this call, this voice back to her? Well, we always need our mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we always need her. And I think when we, I think we live, we've had such a war against the mother for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I teach a course called The Body of the Mother that really looks at what the war against the mother, which is a 10,000 year old war. Mm. I mean, it goes right back to the beginning of civilization and the desire to try to get rid of her and to create this kind of empire. Yeah. I mean, it, the war, it's been a war against the earth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's been a war against women. It's been a war against anyone who's not, you know, male in a single defined way. And mm-hmm. it's really wrecked. We've brought, it's brought the world to the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. You know, the the age of modern Marian apparitions started in Paris in like 1830. And, you know, there had always been Marian apparitions, appearances of the Virgin Mary uh, throughout history, mm-hmm. right? Great many of them. But suddenly in 1830, you start to get a lot of them. And between 1830 and 2000, there are 500, you know, uh, Marian apparitions that the church, you know, they don't officially endorse them, but recognize them as, you know, a thing, right? Mm -hmm. They're on the list to be investigated or whatever. It's an astounding number. And uh, if you look at the graph, have a book that has a graph like of of the Marian apparitions, Mm -hmm. and then you look at at the uh, the graph charting the rise in CO2 emissions, Mm -hmm and the rise in population, and they're all the same graph. Mm. And that basically uh, what that tells me is that the closer we get to breaking the uh, the box we came in, right, mm. breaking the planet, yeah. uh, the more Marian apparitions there are. And her message is always the same. Pray the rosary, right? Bad times are coming. Hold on tight. I will guide you. That's her core message of all the apparitions. It yeah. always comes back to that. And so the mother is is coming uh, to us at, at our time of, of greatest need. And, you know, in former centuries, you know, in early apparitions, they would say, well, it's because, you know, people aren't going to church or they're sinning or whatever. You know, the most recent apparitions, you know, from the past 20 or 30 or 40 years are saying, no, 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 this is much bigger than you know right mm-hmm. the apparitions have gotten bigger and bigger and are addressing larger and larger global issues i think for clark and me you know clark and i um i i grew up as an atheist 
bohemian suburban child, you know, and Clark grew up, you know, down south having some repressive Presbyterian nightmare. And we we found each other <laughs> in Buddhism, you know, which for, you know, our generation was, you which know, seemed which seemed not repressive for about five minutes. And then you realize, like, oh, my gosh, it's the same scene. It's just got different colored robes, you know, and and we began exploring Clark particularly what is the response to climate change? Mm-hmm. What do we do? What are we supposed to do as a species, as people, individuals at this moment? And, you know, what the lady says, like, I'm, I'm thinking for some reason, she's coming into my mind to say this right now, but, you know, Our Lady of Cabejo appeared to six young schoolgirls in Rwanda before the genocide for seven years. And she said to those girls, yeah, things are going to go down. Mm-hmm. Please pray the rosary. Right. Yeah. And it's what she always says when she shows up in, in whether you know, Yugoslavia, you know, where she shows up in Portugal before the flu, she always says, Things are going down, please pray the rosary. And she showed up for Clark and she showed up for us and said, You're right. Yeah. You, you Things are it, going down. You think mm-hmm. it's bad, it is bad. But I'm here, hold my hand. Hold my mm-hmm. hand, pray the rosary, and we'll figure this out. Those six schoolgirls made it through the genocide of my dad. Not all, not all of them. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they hid in a bathroom for months, praying the rosary together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, today, when the day we're talking, you know, there's a lot of fear in the world right now because of what's happening in the Ukraine at this moment, and you know. Right. But there's always something happening somewhere at every moment. I don't just pick your moment in the world and there's a calamity happening. That's true, yeah. And so I, that's why I pray the rosary every day so I get really centered and trust that it, I'm not in charge of the world, she is, and she's going to show me where to put my feet, how to tend to my heart, what to do, what not to do, and stay real. And also listen to the guidance of my ancestors, talk to the dead. Mm-hmm. Be in relationship to that world of the yeah. single. She said to Clark when she first invited him to pray the rosary, if you rise tonight, to say the rosary tonight, a column of saints will support your prayer. Mm. And I think that's the, that column of saints is all of the living and all of the dead. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone starts showing up. Mm-hmm. You summon magic when you start to pray the rosary. You, you summon forces bigger than you can understand. Absolutely. Let's let's go back for just a second about that idea of a summoning spell and the Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. We can just make this very, very simple. They and and like a thousand years ago, there were these statues that were all across Europe. A lot of them were black statues, like black. And they weren't meant to be African particularly, they were meant to be dark, like earth mothers, right? Mm-hmm. They were made of basalt or they were made of very dark wood, or sometimes they had started off as you know, a walnut or something like that, but so many candles had been burned before them that they became solid black, right? Mm-hmm. And people would come and pray to these statues because they experienced them as portals. Like when you went to this statue, what people would do is they would say the earliest form of the Hail Mary, Ave Maria, Grazia Plena, Dominus Tecum, that first part about the maiden, the Lord and the lady, mm-hmm. and the Yabiam, you know, the divine union. 
And then they would go down and they would do a prostration and touch their forehead to the floor and rise back up and say it again. And they would come with their prayers. But they experienced these statues as being alive. But it wasn't enough just to go into the presence of this living statue. People, if you didn't, if you didn't say the spell, nothing would happen. Mm. Like you couldn't just go and say, hey there, will you grant my prayer? You were expected to go. And the lady was there, but she wouldn't come out of the stone or out of the wood and, and, and interact with you and answer your prayer unless you said the spell. Mm-hmm. And so really the hail, the, the, that earliest form of the Hail Mary, just 15 syllables, just six words, was the summoning spell of the high middle ages. This isn't an intellectual exercise for us, by the way. You know, I think it's important to say that we came to the rosary when our daughter was really sick. The doctors couldn't tell us what was the matter. We both lost our jobs in the space of a day. Oh we exhausted our savings. Mm-hmm. We had no money. Our house, we had taken a second mortgage. We were behind on our taxes because we'd been pouring our money into taking care of our daughter. And suddenly we had nothing but prayer. Mm-hmm. And what we learned, out being denied all these usual modern ways of behaving in the world, we learned that we could make magic happen with prayer. Yeah. If you have prayer, you have everything. If you don't, you have nothing. Even but we, seem to have we went, yeah. our daughter had to go to a heart doctor, and they were going to do a test to tell us whether her heart might explode unexpectedly. If you can imagine a parent, that's not a fun no, moment. No, definitely not. Yeah. So we went to the doctor. We were going to have to wait three weeks for the results of the test. We went to the Cloisters, which is this replica of a medieval monastery in New York City. And we went to the Hall of the Madonnas. And I went and I touched every one of those Madonnas there. Clark distracted the guard. And I said my Hail Mary to each of them. And I said to each one of them, ladies, if we get this done... She, my baby comes through this okay. I'm bringing you flowers. You are not museum objects. You are working girls. You, we can do this. We're a team. And these were from the same era. These were not, yeah, these lot, are, these were not replicas. And these so were, three weeks passed. And the results were fine. And so we went back to the cloisters and we brought roses. And we and, and again, we had to distract the guards. We didn't do a very good job this time distracting the guards. And, and we're now on like the no-fly list for the, <laughs> for the it, cloisters. It sounds like you're already ready to break into the Vatican. We are actually, I can tell you. <laughs> we're very naive when it comes to these kinds of things. I, honestly, I feel like we have broken into the Vatican because we've stolen a lot of their secrets already we didn't even have to go we somehow sort of managed to apparate into the uh, you know hidden treasure chambers and get some of their but the thing is these secrets most of what we write about in the book are secrets that are hidden in plain view yeah it's not so much a matter of like finding some old manuscript or something like that it's a matter of like saying the prayer and looking at handling the object and then at a certain point you look at it and you go oh oh Mm -hmm. my great 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 grandmother knew what this really was right and she hid yeah inside these bees inside these prayers like here's the here's the most obvious thing there are 15 mysteries in the rosary right that tell the the story of jesus and mary from beginning to end mm-hmm. right the initiation right. to mary's uh, you know assumption into heaven they're called mysteries mm-hmm. that the church even allows them to be called mysteries is a sign of how clueless they are about 
what the rosary is because mm-hmm. it's a mystery cult. It's a mystery cult. Absolutely. It's based on the Dionysian mystery cult. Yeah, it goes mm-hmm. all the way back to Egyptian and and uh, Greek, Egyptian and Roman uh, mystery traditions, mystery school. I don't know if you've read the Immortality Key by Brian Murkowski yet. I have it. No, not yet. Oh, I, he did sneak into the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> He did better than that. He talked his way in. He talked his way in. He got into these areas of the lab where you're never allowed to get into it. Anyway, he makes the connections between Dionysus and Jesus. Mm. And and, and the connections to the old, the Eleusinian mysteries. Mm -hmm. And that you, in fact, the Eleusinian mysteries and the cult of Dionysus got hidden in the rosary. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did um, a thesis during my undergraduate work on uh, the Lady of Ephesus. Oh. Yeah, and that was when it became obvious to me because I didn't grow up Catholic really, so I was just have kind of been doing my my witchcraft thing for a few years now, and I was writing this paper, and it's like, so Mary ascended to heaven in Ephesus, which was the temple of Diana for thousands of years. Yeah, right. That was just think, it's just right and there. You know what happened when they tried and when they tried to take the words "Mother of God" away from the ordinary people. I bet he does know since he wrote You, do, you probably know well, they, they rioted. They went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. take our mother of God away from mm-hmm. us. <laughs> right? Yeah. They were afraid for their lives, apparently. They had to decide, you know, had to decide on the Theotokos. Absolutely. And I think it's evident even in some of the, the particular titles of Mary. You know, Artemis was called the Queen of Heaven. It was called the Mother of Mercy. And all of these things that now, have now become titles of Mary were usually... Inanna mm-hmm. was Queen of Heaven and Earth. Mm-hmm. Right. Anana. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. These are ancient titles that have just, you know. And the thing is, they, they, they're right there in plain sight. I mean, you, they be referring to some of the elements of Catholic liturgy uh, to Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth, right? Mm. But, you know, like somebody somewhere out of the congregation, at least listening to a priest say that, I'd say, I'd raise their hand and say, oh, well, well, uh, excuse me, <laughs> isn't that the name of Aphrodite and Inanna and Isis too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Pay no attention to that. And, you know, and the mother is so inclusive. She's, she's pre- frequently depicted in these medieval pictures holding the whole world under her mantle, right? So it's, it's two things. And she's depicted red, wearing a red robe, holding all the beings and creatures and humans of the world, mm-hmm. and then the blue veils over her. She's the Earth Mother. She's Gaia. She's, she is everything that is. It's, it's, it's the core of the red Earth and the planet, and then the blue atmosphere and the waters. Mm-hmm. And they kind of knew that. People used to just kind of know that. Yeah. They didn't, it wasn't like, I mean, Clark and I are always going to old, religious services because we lo- we're doing archaeological work so we went we found this decommissioned church of saint anne and we got fascinated by saint anne folk magic and i'm telling you there's a six-sided star at this church i've asked everybody what's going on with this six-sided star and nobody will tell me <laughs> but anyway. it's, out behind, it, it's above and behind the church hidden in the woods and, and these Irish immigrants built this church in the early 1800s, and they put the six-sided star. Mm-hmm. And I find everybody, what's going on with the six-sided star about in the back of the Hemlock Forest? And nobody will tell me. Yeah. But I, it's not that they don't know. No one will tell you. <laughs> I suspect that there are old people who have some idea. But you know, the the priest we went to some mass there to see what's going on, and you know, he talks about Mary as like this 13-year-old girl submitting to being raped by God, and it's the most offensive repulsive yeah 
violent, you know, not a goddess, you know. And if there's no scriptural basis for any of that. No. And yet, and yet, weirdly enough, the magic still works. And there is an actual shrine with a statue. And there's a, uh, a spring, a spring it. underneath it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We went there because because we were desperate. And, you know, that's what that's what makes magic is desperation. Yeah. You know, if you have no place else to turn, the modern world has failed you every, on every side, you know. And, and you find yourself in a position. Our, our daughter got, again, another story. She got terrible, terrible uh, results on her blood numbers. Mm. And we were, it was in kidney failure. And we were terrified that she was going to immediately have to be hospitalized. And we didn't know, uh, you know, we thought she could die. And uh, we went to this little church. And, we were driving home from the yeah. hospital. And we were driving on a road we'd driven on for 25 years. And we'd driven past this little church, never stopped. And that night, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, just desperate, we realized there was a statue of the Madonna up front. We thought, we'll drive up. And we drove up this little hill and we went to the statue and realized it wasn't the Madonna. It was the mother of the Madonna. Mm. You know, once you start having mothers, it's mothers all the way down. You know? mm. <laughs> like, so right. so it's, it's St. Anne. It's who's the mother of the Virgin Mary. And we said, you know, if somehow you can get our daughter, keep our daughter from having to go on dialysis, you know, I'll always bring you roses. Promise. Mm-hmm. Right. Next day they redid the tests and it must have been a fluke. Everything was fine. So I... Always bring roses. Well, that's what the doctors say. It must have been a fluke because you can't tell a doctor we went to the shrine of St. Anne. We <laughs> said the prayer, and now these catastrophic numbers are certain. Suddenly, the next day are totally normal, mm-hmm. right? I, and we can, David, you have to show us up because we'll go. I think we can talk to St. Anne now forever because we've got so much St. Anne with our research you've got in and how she's connected to the Celtic goddess Anu. Mm-hmm. And oh, how it just goes on and on. There's a lot of some of the oldest folk magic in Europe is about St. Anne. Yeah. There's so much to say, Anne. There's so yeah. much magic, uh, and Irish Catholicism in particular has so much magic hidden in it. And these were Irish immigrants who founded this church, and they had all these legends about a woman in black who haunts the cemetery, and the, and the church is built over a series of cave structures, which Clark snuck into. Yeah, well, of course you did, Clark. <laughs> here's a really interesting thing. They, here's an interesting thing. I did some research about St. Anne and about shrines to St. Anne and about magical uh, spots, you know, like mm. power spots, right? Right. And, you know, this was all after the fact because I got so curious about this funky little church that had been, you know, because it was devoted to St. Anne, was closed after Vatican II, basically, right? And so, and so I, um, our cat is like causing mischief <laughs> over here. <laughs> probably here. So, uh, but I got very interested. So I went back and investigated, and it turns out, and the Irish uh, stonemasons who came over and, and built this church, right, in the, in the late um, 19th century, they would have known this, that when you build a shrine like this, you have to build it on a hill above a stream. There has to be a well and there has to be a cave going underneath the church. To and activate the magic. Active because mm. otherwise you could build the statue, you could build the church, but the magic won't work. So they still, these Irish immigrants still had a strong enough connection to those old traditions which were probably passed down orally to where they found just the right spot. And the reason why I know this is because I took a friend down there who knows about stone and stone carving and showed him the entrance to the cave and he said, 
this is not this is there is a cave there but this is not the entrance this was made by stonemasons so they went down by the river and there's nothing stored in the caves like there was no purpose for it except they were fulfilling a ritual and creating a magical object basically and what, what happened was in the early 1900s it turned out clark and i started reading old newspaper articles there'd been so many miracles at this church that people were coming by the busload by the middle of the last Even century. Even from Canada. Yeah. Wow. And the Vatican shut the church down. Yeah. A little suspicious. I, it, it was too much magic. It was too, yeah. it was too happen. No, they mm-hmm. said that it was decommissioned during Vatican II. And, I, you know, I, we're fascinated by this intersection of the land, the mother, the rosary, the folk magic, you know. I think... Every lady is an expression of the land, and I think it's why, you know, she's identified by the place where she, where she is. You know, Our Lady of Lords, Our Lady of Fatima. These aren't the same lady. They're different places, and mm-hmm. they have different yeah. flavors. Right. Absolutely. You know, our, and I think that, that it's fun to get, like when you said, is, you know, is this about goddess worship? The difference is that once you have a goddess, you, once you, you, have, you start having many goddesses. So that in traditions all around the world, you instantly start finding not one mother, but nine mothers. In Iceland, there are nine essential mothers. In India, there are nine mothers. Mm-hmm. Among the Kogi people of Colombia, there are nine mothers. There are nine muses. There are nine muses yeah. in ancient Greece. What starts to happen is the mother always is going to start creating multiplicity and possibility. Right. right. So I would like to say, you know, our Lady of Fatima and Our Lady of Lords know each other, but they've got a different flavor. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're different mothers. Absolutely, yeah. And they, you do different magic with them for different things. Yeah. That's very true. Well, we are coming up on the end of our time for the day. <laughs> so is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we uh, say goodbye? David, I'm sorry we talked so much. No, that's, that's why I invited you. So that's perfect. We're enthusiasts. We're enthusiasts. And this is our favorite topic. And we invite you to continue the conversation with us on Way of the Rose, um, either on Facebook, which is a very un-Facebook group on Facebook. I agree, yeah. Right, (laughs) right. Or come to wayoftherose.org where we have a lot of different ways of getting involved. We have a monthly newsletter and meetings and everything's free. Um, But I want to talk more with you about magic sometime because that's what we're really I would love to. That's that's my favorite topic. So I would love that. My favorite. (laughs) That's my favorite topic. That's amazing. He actually teaches courses called Take Back the Magic. So written a book about it. That's perfect. We need to revisit that. For sure. We call it the third book in the trilogy of the Way of the Rose trilogy. Take Take Back Back the Magic. magic, Which is really about accessing the dad and the saints to create miracles. Right. That's wonderful. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate thank it. You. I very much yeah. enjoyed myself. And I will talk to you guys soon. Thank Excellent. you, David. It was wonderful. Excellent. I'll share with everybody and do whatever we're supposed to do. Okay, awesome. Thank you guys so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.